Glad you've jumped on board. We're making our way through the Gospel of Matthew, which is a kind of a companion piece to what we've been going through on Sunday mornings in First Peter. Peter is obviously a prominent uh, figure in the Gospels, and we've certainly seen that. But we're we're down to the last four chapters of Matthew, believe it or not, and we're going to wrap this up um, by the end of the week, and then we're going to take a little summer break, summer hiatus, um, and then towards the end of the summer, we're going to circle back around, and we're going to do something new, and Lord willing, continue this on after that, even as we head into the school. But before we're we talk about that we want to go right into Matthew 25 let me pray for us and we'll get going Lord um, we're just as much in need of your sanctifying saving grace on uh, today as we were yesterday and as we come to your word as we're reminded about where all of human history is heading and going we want to have our hearts tuned um, to to hear you, to respond to you, to walk before your face today. So we ask now that you would um, bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. If you recall, and I'm sure you do, from Friday, we looked at one of the most um, talked about um, passages in all of Scripture. It's called the Olivet Discourse from Matthew 24, where the disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking him, when, when is this end of the age going to happen? They had, they had told them that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, the temple was going to be destroyed, there was going to be a final judgment, and they're, and they're asking him, well, when's this going to happen? And as we saw from last time, Jesus answers in two parts. The first part, he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and how that's going to happen while many of them are still alive. And then he sort of switches and says, and this is just going to be a foretaste, a foreshadowing, of what's going to ha be happening at the end of the age. And then he talks about the circumstances around his second coming and his final judgment. Well, here Jesus does what he often does um, when he gives an important discourse like this or an important teaching. He follows it up or he couches it in stories, in parables, in illustrations so that they would understand what they're to do. Um, and, and that's what he's doing for us in Matthew 25. There are actually three parables, three illustrations that, are, that come on the heels of what he's told us in Matthew 24. And it's meant to show us or to tell us that as believers, um, we are to live a certain way. We are to have our lives pointed in a specific way, in a specific trajectory in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again, whether that's in one year or a thousand years or something in between, we have a particular mindset we have to sort of put on as believers to live faithfully in this age. Now, oftentimes people ask, Pastor Paul, do you think we're living in the last days? And of course we are, because Jesus said we are. Um, the scripture writers referred to the last days as that period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And we don't know where in that process we are exactly. We know we're closer than we were than when we began. But everything that's happening now are the birth pains or the, the things are pointing to um, the end of time. 
And Jesus says, you're not going to know exactly when that is. Deep in the night. Remember, this is what he said last time. The, the, the Son of Man does not even know the hour, only the Father. And so when we hear that, and we understand, okay, we're in that time period. How shall we live? What shall we do? And so he gives us three parables. They all build upon one another. They're the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the illustration of the sheep and the goats. And all three of these sort of build upon one another. And let's just unpack them quickly. So the ten virgins, and let me tell you the central lesson here that Jesus is wanting to communicate to us. He wants us to live as if we are in a constant state of readiness and preparation for him coming again. And he uses this illustration of the ten virgins, five whom are wise, five whom are foolish. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come home. They're going to the wedding feast. It seems like they're probably servants of the bridegroom. Um, five stock their oil supplies for their lamps and five don't. And when the bridegroom is delayed, and this is meant to communicate to us that, that we don't know when the bridegroom, when Jesus is going to return. Um, but he, when he comes, there's going to be a wedding feast and all of us are invited. Okay. And what happens here, of course, is that the five wise virgins, they prepared, they were ready, they anticipated, and the other five did not. And at the very end, as the bridegroom is coming in, the five who didn't prepare are asking the five who did, hey, can we borrow some lamp, some oil for our lamp? And the whole point here is, is that we can't rely upon others' faith in that day. We have to have our own faith. We have to have our own uh, personal preparation and hearts before the Lord. In other words, faith is not going to be passed down to us by osmosis. We have to own it, um, steward it, and, and prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. And so when Christ comes in that day, um, the faith of others will do us no good, right? We have to have our own personal faith. And I think that's the point of this first parable, readiness, preparation, um, personal faith and expectation. All right, the second parable is the parable of the talents. And this is really answering the question, building upon the other, the, the ten virgin parable, well then how do we prepare ourselves, Jesus? What does that look like? And Jesus says the, essentially the point of this, of this parable is the way that you prepare yourself and live in a state of readiness is you discharge your responsibilities and your duties. And he, and he illustrates this by talking about these three servants. All of them were given different levels of responsibility or talents. And that's a, it's a huge sum of money in the ancient Near East, the Roman Empire. And each of them have been given different stewardships or different um, amounts of money or resources in order to use wisely. And the point of the parable is not how much you've been given, but how do you use what you have been given. So I remember um, the, the, when I was ordained to the senior pastor position at Four Oaks, um, my wife gave me a... Um, a remembrance, a token of celebration that used at its heart this parable. And the encouragement was, 
that whatever stewardship or talent that God entrusted for, for this life, for this season, to be wise in using it. And that's, that's the whole point for all of us, right? That, that we've all been give, given different stewardships, different responsibilities, different abilities, and none are worse or better than the others, but they all are to be stewarded for the glory of God and the grace of God. Now, what's interesting is that the one servant who took his talent and buried it in the ground, um, Jesus has a specific condemnation for him, okay? Not that he only had one talent, okay? It's just that he just kind of adopted a posture of sort of religious fatalism, right? And this is really, I think, a word against nominal Christianity, which just basically says, you know, Christianity is what happens for me on a Sunday morning. Or it's a religious right, it's a religious observance. And I just, I'm kind of going along in life and I'm a Christian and others are Buddhists and others are Muslims and, but fundamentally it doesn't really shape the nature of my life. It's just sort of like my tribe identification. And that's kind of, I think the point of the one talent person is that he sort of hit his talent and said, I'm going to kind of forget about that, worry about that later. And Jesus is saying, this is really just unbelief, okay? And that, the one who had the five, the one who had the, had the three, they took what they had been given, they stewarded it, they were prepared, they were discharging their responsibilities. And it's just a reminder to all of us, each of us have, as the people of God, have been given, given different different stewardships. And our job between now and the second coming of Christ is to steward those, right? Is to be responsible for those, is to be in a state of preparation and readiness, knowing that Jesus will come back and one day um, there will be, um, as we see in this last parable, um, there will be a final reckoning, okay, a final judgment. One, one thing that's interesting about all, that, that unifies all these passages, it's very clear there is going to be a final day where we have to answer at the end of the age to our king and judge, every person on the face of the earth. And that's what this last illustration is meant to, to show us is the final judgment. And so the, the picture here is that you have uh, um, the king or the shepherd is separating the sheep and the goats. So in the ancient Near East, um, sheep and goats were oftentimes hard to distinguish because they looked very similar from a distance. We think about sheep as like English sheep that are pure as white as snow, and that's not the, the character, the genetic makeup of sheep in the ancient Near East. They were oftentimes the same color, okay, shaped similarly as goats, but obviously much more valuable and it was part of the job of the shepherd to separate out the sheep from the goats, the real from the inauthentic. And again, that's the point of this parable, is that at the end of the day, ultimately Jesus will be the judge. And he will be the one that decides or can determine who belongs to him and who doesn't. And so the criteria that Jesus will use, and he says it here in verse... Um, uh, 40, he says, and the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, 
a lot of times that verse is used to talk about our need to minister to the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and it's certainly not less than that, but that's really not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, those who truly belong to me, um, they are going to have a particular response to the family of God, the church of God, which is my body. So in other words, Jesus is saying, this is really people's response to myself. I've entrusted my gospel mission to people on this side of heaven, and they are going out proclaiming the gospel. They are they're, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and ultimately we will be judged, okay, based upon our response to that gospel message that comes to people through the people of God, okay, through uh, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, ultimately, at the end of that day, while it may be hard in this life to determine who's responding and who's not, who's real and who's not, ultimately, every single person in the history of planet Earth is a part of one of those two groups. There is no middle ground. And these are just great stories, parables, I think, to, to be reading to remind ourselves, in fact, that Jesus is coming again. It is a certainty. It is a surety. Um, it is a point definite in time. That number two, as the writer of Hebrews says, we are living in the last days. In the previous days, he spoke to us through his prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us how? Through his son. And this son is coming back one day. And so we want to be in a state of readiness, of preparation, we want to be discharging our duties, responsibilities. We want to have a sense of expectancy. We want to be listening and responding to the voice of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes back one day, he will be able to identify us, not because we've earned our salvation, but because it is evident by the work of his grace in our lives that we are responding and living in a particular way. And that is the point of of Matthew 23 through 25. It's just a great call for us, isn't it, Four Oaks, to, to know that we are living for something, that we have not, if we have invested all of our hope, okay, into this life and this life alone, we will be bitterly disappointed. There will be a point of despair for all of us. But if, in fact, there is an eternal kingdom and death is merely a very temporary interruption, okay, to this massive movement of God ushering in his kingdom, then we can live without fear. We can live with courage. We can live with a sense of expectancy. And I pray and hope that that'll be this, the truth for you as it is for me. So let's pray. Tomorrow we'll be back out at Matthew 26. Lord, thanks for this time. And we pray that your word... Um, would find a place and it would land in our hearts and it would take root and it would produce fruit and we would be people who are living lives on mission with expectancy and hope and a sense of, of knowing that you will be our judge and king and that we will give an accounting to you and this will be a glorious accounting for the people of God and we want to be found faithful in that day. Lord, please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.